Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two-Headed Game Master. I'm Cosmo, the head that says the first part of the intro. And I'm Dane, the there and back again head. Uh, Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing role-playing games where we discuss our favorite hobby, share our thoughts with you all, uh, and even play some games sometimes. Uh, Dane, wait, oh shit, we seem to have grown a third head tonight. Oh. Enzo, uh, who are you? Introduce yourself to the show. Who's this guy? Well, I am Enzo, the extra handsome head tonight, I suppose. Uh, I'm Just because Cosmos... it's radio doesn't mean you can lie <laughs> well, I'm... with impunity. Someone will figure it out. They won't look us up, and they'll be pleasantly surprised if they do. That I'm handsome. <laughs> I'm Cosmo's younger brother, and I have been playing RPG with Cosmo and Dane for since they've started actually playing it, I suppose, when we, a couple years ago, started playing Torg, the other role-playing game, and since have been... Playing Torg as well as some other things. I've played a little D and D with some other friends, different circles, and have run a few of my own game sessions as game master once or twice. And that's what uh, we want to talk about today on this episode of Two Headed Game Master is first time game mastering. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we brought in my brother because. Well, yeah, exactly what Dane said. We we want to talk tonight about running role-playing games for the first time, and Enzo has a, uh, a little bit of experience specifically with that. Everyone who's game-mastered or played role-playing games has their first time, but right. uh, we were all present and working together when Enzo ran his first one. It was um, the best session. It was fun. <laughs> There was some stuff, but that's well, why we're there here. There were some things that could have gone better, but we'll get to Tell it. Tell us uh, how this uh, your first time started, like, because um, uh, if I recall, it was when after we had been drinking a little bit, and as, as, uh, you said do. you were boasting, if I recall correctly. I was undermining the. <laughs> level of work that actually goes into being a game master thinking at the time how much work i've witnessed both dane and cosmo you both (laughs) put into a session and the outcome always being like delightful in a game and playing it with friends and whoever but the amount of time spent stressing over certain elements of whatever aspect of the session in weeks maybe before the actual session leading up to it led me to believe that you guys were thinking too hard about it and that I could probably do it having watched you guys both run different games by your like by yourselves or with lots of people as kind of two game masters at a time um, and thinking that I could do it Probably not better, but at least run one well, effectively. Yeah. Well, you did run one effectively. You did run you one that. effectively. And you also, um, I would say, weren't completely off base. Uh, 
you guys, I'm so fucking bad at this when we do this. Help me pin down when that happened chronologically. When did you run your first session? Um, that was like a year-ish ago? It or was more? about two, two, maybe three winters ago. I don't think three. I don't think so. I it think was two, about though. two winters two. ago. Okay, so two uh, winters One of our friends ago. was still in town, and we played it with him before he left for California. That's right. Sharif was still here. That's true. Okay, so, so that's a part benchmark. of it. So it was about two winters ago. Okay. Or so. So I will say that uh, maybe you weren't completely off base saying that we might have been thinking too hard, because two years ago, um, we maybe were. And we were finding that sometimes we were... I wouldn't say necessarily overdeveloping because we enjoyed the, you know, the world building and the adventure writing process. But would you say, Dane, uh, that it's accurate that a decent amount of what we prepared never made it into a session or never made it into play? Yeah, uh, definitely some overdevelopment. And that's something we kind of want to touch on a little bit today because our rough rule of thumb for game mastering is a third of what you plan it's never going to come up because the players are going to do something you didn't expect, and then you're just going to have to roll with it and don't, like, oh, well, you guys can't go through that door. I didn't plan anything. Yeah. Right. So, uh, why don't you, Enzo, say just a little bit uh, about your first session, like the setting and the adventure um, so that way they have some listeners have some context. when. Uh, sure. So you kind of dared yourself. What did you come up with? What was your idea? Dared myself and bragged. And luckily, I don't think I had a time limit when I did that. So it might have gotten away from me. But the setting of... You put a little bit of a time limit on me. Because you said, like, hey, I'm going to run an adventure for you guys. And then I fucking wanted to play the adventure that you had. But right. you're right. Yeah, no time limit. You were able to just... So I had a little bit more time and also ended up using a lot more time than I thought of initially thing I would need for it. But the setting itself was in Afterlife, which is something that Cosmo and Dane developed as kind of a very broad wasteland apocalyptic adventure setting. I don't want to dive too far into it because I think well, this might be a, a good a little, little bumper. So Afterlife is a setting for the Eclipse engine, which we keep talking about. And it will be available at some point. We just need to put some finishing touches on it. Uh, but like Enzo said, it's post-apocalyptic. Uh, yeah. It's a very fun setting because it's got elements of both, you could say, Fallout as well as fantasy involvement to where character creation and game setting is very... Very open to a world where anyone can do whatever they want in a North American kind of place. Yeah, post-apocalyptic uh, North America basically is the setting with, as Enzo said, uh, a mixture of fiction kind of thrown in there. A lot of features from classic uh, post-apocalyptic fiction as well as some more weird kind of it's got your sci-fi it's got your fantasy it's got everything yeah, you need there's magic it's pretty in cool it, you know it's got a lot uh that appeals to most people who have played rrpg games 
So my specific game and session that I ended up creating and designing was in this world of afterlife. Picked a specific location that to me would end up being a pretty cool addition to their afterlife world. And us all being born and raised in Colorado, if you haven't heard of... Oh, don't fucking dox us. If you haven't heard of... Now they're going to send mail. (laughs) The Cheyenne Mountain Complex is a very interesting place in Colorado. If you don't know what it is, I encourage you to Google it. You won't find a ton of information about it. But it's basically near Colorado Springs, there's a big mountain, Cheyenne Mountain, and under it in the 70s and 80s, the U.S. has built a sort of, like, underground nuclear bunker. It's a big Cold War missile defense system, and it still serves some role today. Uh, Not necessarily sure what that is, but... So that's the real-life Cheyenne Mountain. What is Mutant Mountain? Yeah. So, in Afterlife, Mutant Mountain is the Cheyenne Mountain Complex, but now it's been half overrun, half still contained, maybe in the deeper levels to the pre-catalysm of the apocalyptic world. So, there's baronries and all sorts of what-have-yous outside that run kind of the areas around it. But once you're going into the mountain, it becomes a very dungeon-esque free-for-all for adventure settings with mutants, mercenaries, a certain adventure type called bats. I forgot what it stood for. Badass treasure seekers, I believe. I think that was it. Badass treasure seekers with a little bit of you know, Borderlands-inspired flares. So the idea being that, like, the missile defense complex or the old, like, military complex is a a trove of treasure for anyone who feels like they can... Brave the tunnels. Yeah, they can handle it. Right, yeah. And that was my idea for it. The session was going to be a pretty cut-and-dry dungeon crawl through a semi-known in real-life setting as well as a lot of other elements added to make it more fun and more exciting. What was, uh, just for the, because we know, but our listeners do not know what the objective was. What was the objective? Yeah, what was the pitch of the adventure? The pitch of the adventure, I think there is two main objectives, routes the players could take. One was to infiltrate deep into the complex and plant a sort of surveillance equipment into one of the mainframe computer terminals so that the players uh, like so, monitor and kind of start learning and figuring out what's going on inside Mutant Mountain. That was, I think, the main one. And then the other was just to recover any pre-catalysm. There was another team... We were part of a faction. You're right. I just looked at this today, kind of leading up to this podcast. The second was a previous team of the same organization that the players were a part of had been assigned the same task but had lost contact and not been heard from. 
So the players coming in who were actually running in the actual session of the game were there to look for them as well as plant a sort of bug into Mutant Mountain complex. Right. That so, was the session objective mm. for the players. Okay. So the primary was to plant a bug mm. in the deep levels, and then the secondary was to gather intel or confirm the deaths of the previous team. Right. Uh, and if I recall... Well, actually, I don't recall. Did we succeed in any? You guys did. I think we did. I think they did both. They okay. succeeded in both. It was an interesting session because we had enough people to where we split it, where Cosmo assisted me as far as being the second game master in this specific adventure. Just when the party split the at part, a certain yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, the, the party. He still ran it mostly himself. Um, and... Let's not get too far ahead in there. Telling telling everybody exactly. Yeah, we how got it went we got some early. questions. Okay. Uh, first question: What were some of the challenges you faced creating an adventure for the first time? You've got your idea. You knew the setting already because we played in it. Yeah. Um, then you sit down. What uh, would you run into right away? So the first thing I ran into, at least. Developing an adventure in a specific real-world place was, at first, just trying to figure out everything I could about it, which ended up being very little about a governmental facility. Secret base. Secret underground base (laughs) that is known about. Well, we know it's there, but... And very little is actually heard about, which was annoying as far as creating a dungeon, as well as ended up being liberating because it allowed me to just take my own fantasy idea of what is going on under that mountain and just apply it. And probably most of the setting was not true as far as the amount of bunkers that are actually there to what was in Mutant Mountain Adventure is definitely not correlating at all with each other. But some other little facts are there. Like there's underground reservoirs, huge ones that they can rowboat across. So in my setting, those specific lakes became even bigger with like little waterways. And probably monsters in them. Probably, but we never got into those, which <laughs> is where the kind of second challenge. Uh, before we move on to the second challenge, I just want to put that on the board because that was really well articulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you started with a real world like mm-hmm. Structure or yeah, you know, complex. It's, it's real. You found out what you could about it, and then when information was lacking, you used your imagination in a like a. Oh, it's good that I don't know everything about this because now I can make up my own stuff. Right. So put that on the board. That's a good idea, and we mentioned that uh, in a previous episode. I'm pretty sure we talked about the the value in the Eclipse Engine and the flexibility of it, and also in just like adventure writing, um, setting something in some in uh, a vaguely or at least semi-historical or even real world, you know, a lot of the work can be done for you, but then you mentioned how, you know, you didn't find necessarily everything you wanted. There isn't a blueprint of Cheyenne Mountain. And why would there be, you know? We wouldn't want the Soviets to get their hands on such a thing. No, that'd be terrible. But, you know, you have an idea of what it is, and then a lot of freedom to, you know, play the adventure in it. But a lot of the groundwork can be done by just 
picking something historical or real world. And then you don't have to do any world building or even design. You just have to read a Wikipedia article. And because it's a game, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be exactly correct. Yeah. Not at all. All right. Second challenge. Second major challenge, kind of flowing with that first one of like not knowing enough and then just making up a lot. That's where I ran into a challenge. I, the big, the initial challenge I had for like just figuring out what the adventure was going to be for the players when I first started, I was just creating, like, the mountain, the complex underneath, and looking at, like, what was around it. And I realized initially for the first week of building this adventure, the scope of it was already kind of exceeding what I wanted to give to the players. I didn't, I was trying to give them too much and too much options in a setting that was my first dungeon slash like rpg paper pen and paper game so which can i jump in real quick and ask what was that what was the scope you were going for well i wanted to run one that was a fun adventure and a different setting for the players to enjoy but like size wise you were looking to shoot a to do a one shot right uh I think so, yeah. Uh, an adventure well, that let's, took maybe a couple hours. This was kind of before play. we really got in, like, really honed in the one-shot. Because, like, back then, a one-shot was all day. Yeah, it was like a, a <laughs> nine-hour sit-down. True. Which can be very fun. Which I think that one was like an eight-hour yeah. like, sit-down with everyone who was involved in playing and running it. Um, the scope of it... I wanted something like that because that's what we were playing at the time. Something that wouldn't be more than like eight hours and wouldn't warrant like a revisit or a pause in the session because of time, real life time, to come back to it at a later date and finish. So when I was developing the game or the session specifically and the scope of it, everything that was going on in the setting and around Mutant Mountain, I quickly realized that it was too much where initially I thought the players would start like outside in like Colorado Springs and they would have to figure out a way to get into the mountain. And I realized that that would have been a whole other game session session just getting to the mountain or inside of it. And this was a time I was still talking to both Dane and Cosmo, you both, Figuring out what would be best and talking a lot about, you know, player directive for people who are playing. How do you, we can get, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more because it was something that later came up in the actual session as far as managing the unknown, which is the players. Um, So I narrowed it down to where the session started with the players, the team, whatever it was. Inside the mountain already, anything that had happened before had already happened and played. So it started right in the beginning of the dungeon for the players to go into. That was one challenge was overdeveloping the scope of just the setting. Because there's a lot going on, not just in Mutant Mountain, but in the broader setting of Afterlife. Where there is a lot to think about. But... Not all of it was relevant enough to me to warrant adding a whole bunch of other stuff 
for the players to deal with. When you say relevant to Mutant Mountain, uh, you're talking about relevance to the to the adventure we were going to play in it. Right. It yeah. was relevant to the world building relevant that you would the, do. Relevant to the world building of Afterlife yeah. and the all the different things that could be occurring in the setting of like North America, apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. But to the specific session of going into Mutant Mountain, there was a lot that was just not needed and unnecessary for the specific session that was about to take place. <sighs> All right. So that was your kind of overcoming. That was your challenge, and your overcoming was figuring out where to kind of start. Like, yeah. you, you, we had the whole setting, Afterlife, yeah. a post-apocalyptic, you know continent spanning setting you picked a place you wanted to do it and you had an idea for the adventure and then how far back do you start the adventure versus you know what is the slice in the middle of all this like great world building that is gameplay you had to kind of figure out yeah it was uh where's the beginning and and that's why even while once i started doing this and developing and designing this session of mute mountain I immediately regretted boasting and <laughs> saying how much that they, both they and Cosmo, put into any campaign or session, and the amount of work is not unjust. It just looks frustrating sometimes, which it is. And I, I think an important thing for new game masters to keep in mind is it's easy to overdevelop so don't spend your energy there. Yeah. It can be very fun too. Not only right. easy. Yeah. Like or maybe that's why That's it's why easy. it's easy. It's cuz it's fun. Yeah. Or at least I think so. Like I run away blast. with an idea and then like 3 hours of thinking about it later I'd be like, "Ooh, but like what if they don't go through the yeah. door?" Was that a dead end <laughs> yeah. the whole time? Uh, maybe. I mean, then at least you know that stuff about your world and even if it never sees the light of day, it does wonders for your world feeling like real and developed and lived in mm-hmm. but yeah. and, it, and it could come in in other ways too and i think we're going to talk about that a little yeah. bit later about being um um but sectional and then yeah. whatever but good general but, advice you were saying don't uh don't don't underestimate how much time it takes but also don't spend your time over developing things that are never going to get played but keep it fun <laughs> like put sure that on having, the board yeah. sure keep it fun. fun keep it fun good but oh. then there's parts that are fun and you gotta do them. a master class in game mastering this fucking guy you right. gotta have fun uh any more to any more you think listeners potential new game masters should know about developing a session for the first time yeah any more challenges or obstacles um, uh, challenges, I suppose, for this, uh, the one other challenge I had was I maybe spent more time developing just the session itself and less time as the game master understanding the game mechanics and the rules of just, not just the setting, but what, like, engine we were working with. And like how to do combat. Yeah, if it wasn't clear in this session, in this Afterlife Mutant Mountain game session, we were using, and I was using the 
Eclipse engine that Dan and Cosmo have developed and have been playing with them using it for a while, but had never looked at the other side of the table to see what the, all those tables were. And once I did, I looked at them enough to think I had an understanding. Then we started playing and I quickly realized that I was missing a few points in that just simple and it is pretty simple. It's just got to understand it. We have also made it simpler. We have, since yeah, then. since then in the two intervening winters. <laughs> um, the the Eclipse engine as it existed when Enzo was writing his first adventure was a little more complex. Um, it was also more specifically tailored to Afterlife. Now it is a much more streamlined and... Uh, general. Yeah, general and... Well, I mean, we took some of the math out. We did take some of the math out. You got a handy-dandy chart. That just does the math. just follow the the fingers. Anyway, yeah. So, let's move on to running the session. Sure. How did you, as the Game Master, balance what you had planned out with player improvisation? You did bring that up as sort of like the, the mystery third. Right. It was like the third that doesn't ever get touched. Right, and then, but that third is replaced with what the players do. What are sure. So, I think the session itself was relatively contained to where there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't too much freedom for the players just to go up. They couldn't go just wander around in like a market because there wasn't any. They had to, you know, be dungeoning. There's monsters. There's traps. You got to find stuff. Um, but even at the beginning, it almost immediately, the party split, which wasn't a big deal because we, that was, we, were, we were prepared it for It felt that. a little planned too, like, oh, right, there's two objectives, we had radios, so sure. it seems like we should split and... Which worked out pretty well, yeah. the... It did, and I would say, uh, I feel like you did a pretty good job of... Communicating what the scope of the adventure was ahead of time. So even though we were in kind of, well, I mean, enclosed in a bunker, first of all, um, but we were also enclosed kind of in our mission, you did a good job of couching that in, like, this is the story. So instead of feeling, like, railroaded or uh, restrictive, we just, we knew the scope of where we were and what we were expected to do. So mostly what happened was players focused on exploring and, you know, pushing towards the objective right. in some way or other. So I think in this specific session, this one that I ran, I personally did not have to deal with a ton of just random, uh, like, RPG players wanting to do something odd or strange or against thing except for like a few moments all right how how do you feel so saying what you just said uh my player uh listeners at home um or my character i mean uh one of our teammates died so i took their body and just walked out of the mission and that happened and there was like well that's why we wanted to bring this up yeah yeah so that happened and the way i ran it was, well, I'm not going to start a whole single-player campaign for just 
Dane's character carrying a body out, it was just easier to just like, all right, you get out and you're not part of this immediate campaign, which is half a bummer, but it's kind of the best mm. way it could work and out. And to be then, fair, it was also deep. It was like hour five or whatever. Right. And it wasn't, just to clarify for <laughs> listeners, it wasn't a... Uh, neither, it wasn't malicious yeah, or it, like it wasn't a derail or anything. It yeah. was pretty well like scripted as far as what the characters yeah. would do as well as... The other teammate who he was also playing Sharif with. wanted to eat it. <laughs> yeah, the other character <laughs> that was, wanted to yeah. eat the body. James wasn't having it. <laughs> that was the kind of critical thing. So what happened? It was almost was... a player versus player confrontation of fighting, which would have been interesting, but ended up resolving as one just <laughs> leaving the dungeon as well as the party and the session, while the other began to solo wolf it as he. <laughs> kept saying he was a lone wolf <laughs> and preferred to work alone. He so did, it did say that a lot. Work out and it was the first it was one of the earlier or not early but uh one of the first sessions I remember like a character dying in a player character dying in specifically which I don't think it happened really before which is one reason nope. I thought I had messed and I think there's some... The verdict's out. <laughs> it's not the jury's right still out. Now, uh, as far as how exactly, or well, maybe there's a miscalculation or a bad roll or whatever that killed the player. A but miscalculation. I don't think it was on completely well, me, the GM's fault. Let's not get into the, you know, the, the math of what happened there. But, like, so a player died... And then, uh, then a little bit afterwards, a player like took a stance that probably you didn't plan for. Like, what if they just want to leave? Did uh-huh. you like ever think of that? I did so, not. think back to like when you were running it, when that happens. How did you like stay calm and move the story forward? Um, we kind of, if I remember right, we had a short discussion basically between. Dane, yourself, the other player involved, as well as the player who was dead, whose character <laughs> was dead. Um, and it was just like, all right, well, I don't have anything for you like to do. Like, You can just get back. You can get the body back. That's just not something I was going to role play because there was still a whole session going on with us. So it's just like, okay, then, like, yeah, you get out. Your character lives, but you... I suppose, miss out on all the treasure and stuff that's down here. Well, that's sort of the gameplay side of it, but uh, there's a narrative side to it, too. You, well, the there, was a, there was an unexpected... A, yeah, yeah. Um, there was an unexpected development and a a death and then a confrontation between players because Dane's character was supposed to, like, you know, get his body out of there and take it back. And we ended up playing that, didn't we? We did. Um, Dane's character was, like, kind of honor bound to uh to take his friend's body back to his people or whatever um so it wasn't like a it wasn't like a petty i'm not playing anymore thing no. it was a you know character has a story reason to um to kind of exit the dungeon and then now one member of the party which was already split up at yeah. that time is on their own yeah so 
had to be had to be kind of an unexpected. It was you know, unexpected curveball for you as a game master. It was an unexpected curveball, but it didn't it didn't really change or completely mess up the flow of the session. Granted, I wasn't game mastering for three people anymore. I was just running one guy's character, one player character, and his guy through the dungeon, which was still enjoyable for him, and he ended up, you know, towards the end of the session, the entire party linked up, so then it was five or four people again or something. I would imagine that was maybe a little bit of a nice break for you to run for just Sharif. It was enjoyable, especially in just a so, first So how did setting. you... And like or first session, I should say. Sharif first was kind of trying to. Sharif wanted to get back, even though he was a lone wolf. He did just like he was running through rooms and not spending a lot of time. How did right. you, as the game master, help facilitate that? Because or did we, you hinder it? I don't think I hindered it. Um, it might have just been. I think if I remember right, it was slightly because of the way I built the dungeons itself and the maps to where I think he got lucky enough and just never had any major encounters again because he, like, backtracked, I think, a lot of the time back to where, like, previous fights had been had until the final confrontation with, like, the mutant boss. So it's kind of like a what if, and, you know, it's kind of bad, but, like, what if you would he went through a room where you had planned a major confrontation and it's just him by his onesie trying to get back to his teammates. Uh, what, what do you think you would have done? Would you, I think back then I would have just played it out and maybe let him die. Yeah. What about now? Now I might not saying that's bad. No, I mean, Mm -hmm. neither. But would you do it differently? Yeah. Maybe a little different depending on like dice rolls. Maybe behind the behind the game master board, if he's supposed to die from a roll, keep that back to give him a chance, but maybe still punish him for, you know, why not? Sure. If he's just if he was no, always, and I don't remember Sharif. it very well, but <laughs> like yeah, if he's just busting through rooms with like no stealth or deception concealment <laughs> involved, and he just runs into a big monster. Well, he should have to fight it. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't just be it unless it's big. Then he can just slip out the door. What, like Munchkin rules? Yeah. If it's like that, like, all right, <laughs> you get a chance to, like, get out, but it might follow you. Uh-huh. You're going to have to run, and that would be a separate. This is a friend of, of ours. Um, this is a friend of ours who, not so much anymore, um, but. When we were when we were all kind of new to the hobby, he was the guy who would, like, deliberately act or, you know... And I fill his mouth with maggots. Yeah, he'd... He'd be gross or he'd be, like, directly anti-whatever the party was doing because, you know, he's kind of... He was like a, what this is what my character would do. It was endearing. In Well, in a sort of endearing, but also pretty disruptive way sometimes where it's like, well, if that's what your character would do, why is he a part of this at all? But uh, to some you know, just because but, Sharif's probably going to listen to this, uh, what a learning opportunity for us as game masters! Yes. So, like appreciate we appreciate it. we appreciate it so much. The uh, you know, I think every 
everyone needs the the, the problem challenge. Child. The yeah. <laughs> Since he's been gone, no one's really stepped up to the disruptive plate, though. And weirdly, we've had some kind of terrific adventures. It has been interesting. <laughs> Uh, so moving, moving the session along, or the, not the session, the, oh, yeah. the episode. Back to that. Uh, it, is. it was a nice transition. We kind of went off, but uh, so if you ran the same mutant mountain adventure again, what would you do differently, and like what parts would you do the same? I would probably uh, have one just a better. Ex- understanding of the rules and mechanics of the engine whatever it is i'm running for the setting if it's an eclipse engine make sure i understood it before just diving into it so that in any encounters because it was mainly like a combat heavy encounter with not a lot of dialogue um i would just want to be sure that i don't mess something up that inadvertently gets a player killed without them actually supposed to be being killed. Not that I'm saying that's what happened last time, <laughs> but I would just want to do that better. I think as well as just maybe force players to do, or keep maybe like a time limit or like a threat level up. There was a bad guy that I was super a fan of, but the one fight that the players had with it ended up with one of the players dead, which was interesting as it hadn't happened before. And also it turned out to be a much harder fight than I initially thought when I created the bad guy, which in my head is like, okay, there should be less of them or use them as maybe a driving force to like force characters and players to do stuff. Like they're in a room and they got to get out because there's a bad guy coming. There's one of these bad guys and you There's one fight of these them. big badass You run bad away guys. from them. You can fight them, but it's going to be a long and hard fight, mm-hmm. and you might get pretty messed up by it. Or you could just run away because well, the think... dungeon's pretty big, and there's <laughs> enough corridors and stuff to, like, dipsy-doodle around to continue our objective without going into, like, <laughs> a semi-boss fight, which at the time was unintentional, but it did kind of end up being that way. Well, I think that's kind of what I do. Okay. What would you it, would you do anything the same? Like, yeah. I mean, good advice. Be uh, be yeah. Be understand. Be familiar with the system that you're running yeah. and know the rules. Terrific to, advice. But what about uh, anything more like layout wise or concept wise or structure wise that you would change? I really enjoyed the setting and running it for the most part apart from just being a first time game master and not having my own flow of like describing and telling players what they're seeing and how like or what like they're gonna do what they're gonna do but describing just like the game which i haven't had a lot of practice with that was the biggest maybe not the challenge but a big struggle for me was like being constantly on the ball of like what's going on and like what the players are seeing in the game Mm -hmm. which is i don't think a next time it's going to be better thing i think it's a thing that probably comes with one lots of preparation for the setting knowing everything that could and being as 
well prepared to anticipate things that might happen, as well as just amount of times running a game. Like I think it's something that comes with experience. It yeah, it certainly does. And I wouldn't say there's anything. There certainly wasn't anything like fundamentally flawed with your structure. It was a dungeon crawl. Yeah. We had a couple of clear objectives. We didn't know the layout, so the adventure was figuring out the layout of the dungeon, finding the clues that would lead us to what we needed to do. That and then we like found stuff along the way. There was mysteries, there was secret tunnels, there was things to fight. Right. Um there was traps, I think, and you know. So Gameplay-wise and structure-wise, I don't think there was anything necessarily wrong with that or that needed to be changed or even really addressed. It mostly went pretty well. I thought it went pretty well. There isn't a ton I'd like to change if I ran the same adventure again, except for just having more experience now, having one done it. And once. Then maybe some balancing, some issues with actually running the engine sure. itself. And then just, uh, maybe if there's just like less people in the setting, if it didn't have to like involve splitting up a party, that would be maybe better because then it'd keep everybody together. It's less pieces move because the way I remember we did it, you and me, Cosmo, um, were the two game masters we moved to like slightly separate rooms mm-hmm. and tried not to overhear the other party as they were doing stuff because they were supposed to be separate and then just would text each other as stuff was going on or if someone was trying to use a radio to get a hold of them they would roll a dice See for how well worked. it worked and then we'd worked. let the players communicate and then with if each it, other. yeah if they had you know, if they could transmit and receive, then it was like, okay, yeah, you're doing it. What do you want to say to them? And then let them just talk to the other guy in the room. Yeah. And I thought that worked really well as far as, like, team split, but still together in the same dungeon. I think the only tricky part of it was timeline and, like, frame of, like, you had your guys and I had mine. And they were both going through the dungeon doing different stuff, but, like, figuring out when they kind of, like, ran and, like, hit back into each other or if they were, like, where they were in the dungeon so that they would run back into each other. It was, we did it, and it worked out pretty well. It was just kind of, like, maybe for the players slightly annoying. I don't know if it was, but you also had left by that point. Yep. So... Well, they did come back together, and you, as the sole game master, ran the final encounter. Right. Um, there's a kind of sidetrack, I guess. There's a lot I would change and run differently about this session. Some balancing stuff, some understanding the mechanics of the game better on my own part, and then just having more experience now, not only from like running this and like RPG lights that we've done, but as well as just playing more and more, like, I have a better grasp of, like, what is expected as a game master and what you should be doing session to session just from, like, watching you guys being with other game masters who have run, like, settings and adventures for me. So I just know a little bit more of, like, what should be done and how to do things 
So yeah. I think that's all it would be. All right. Uh, top three. Uh, what was what works the best and what's not so much? Like, you know, sum up what you were just talking about. You said you wouldn't change a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like the shining stars in your belt? And then like, what are the ones you would like to polish? Um, I think what worked best was, I guess, player engagement to the setting Very as engaged. a game master. The fact that apart from killing one player and one player leaving the session, but not because of, not because of, uh, un- disinterest, but just because of gameplay and story, story driven choices, everything went really well. And everyone who was, and every, even up until that point, and then everyone who's kept, was still in the game for another like three hours. Everyone was engaged and involved in the setting, which as a game master, that just, I suppose, helps because the players are having fun and you're having fun and you don't have to work quite as hard to engage them. Um, That's a good one. And do one for one, I guess. Again, just understanding the mechanics, I think that would have just made me feel more comfortable running because whenever anything would happen or could have happened, if I just known what to roll as, as far as like on the game master's side, I wouldn't have had any issues or like been worried about like them, the players doing anything that like I wasn't expecting because I at least be able to know like what to roll for depending on whatever it was they were doing, I suppose. Um, And yeah, I think again, like keeping, like I think developing it was probably the most fun part of it for me. Running it was also fun because got to hang out with people and like play the actual setting that I spent however many me however many weeks developing, but then just developing it was also super fun because it's a fun setting, a f- interesting setting, a lot of stuff going on in it, but like keeping that scope centered as far as what the adventure was actually going to be is like an important note. I think to keep in mind when developing something. Um, Another thing that worked well, we can just, you can run through things. Another thing Um, that worked well. I thought running it with two game masters worked really well is, and we've done it before. That one seemed to work really well when we did it. It is a weird thing though. It's, you know, it requires you all to be within, like, shouting distance of each other and for someone to either develop alongside you or share all the Game Master material. Right, and even and... then, like, uh, like talking to you, since you were the other Game Master, you took your own freedoms with stuff in the mountain that, like, hadn't maybe been as developed. But you kind of just, like, that's where the players went. So you were able to, you know, create and kind of go on the fly with them. Mm-hmm. Well, I mostly, what I mostly did was facilitate them trying to get back in touch with the rest of their party and, you know, find a way to link back up with them. 
Um, okay, one more thing that didn't work so well, or yeah, one more thing that wasn't yeah um optimal when all was said and done for you. For me, one thing that I think didn't work well was I guess I think I at the same time of like over developing the surrounding area, the dungeon itself was not overdeveloped, but it wasn't, like, populated enough with just stuff. A big floor plan with like, not that much stuff in there it. There was several, there's several, several rooms on over, like, three levels of a dungeon. And I tried to make it so that you could go through one. You didn't have to go through, like, every single room. But you still had to like get to the stairs or an elevator. But the stuff on each of those, I don't think was very, not like balanced as far as like mm, difficulty, but just like balanced as far as like you'd probably figure out how to go through like most of them without doing a fight or like not finding any treasure. I think if I did it again, kind of going back, but a challenge like would have forced more stuff to happen instead of just walking through corridors in, like, ideally a healthy amount. Not, like, every... Not for eight hours, it's just combat, but... <laughs> no, but, like... But there's stuff to yeah, do. Maybe give meaningful encounters that maybe, yeah. like, push them in a direction or, you yeah. know, force them to make some sort of decision. I think be having given clear objectives for the players... It kind of drove the can the session, but the actual time in the dungeon wasn't, I think, as well driven. Because there, I don't think like like they did everything right, but the objectives, I think, or like where the objectives could be taken, like could be done, weren't clear. There's like one room where the final like mutant boss was, but like the planning device thing was could have been in like three different rooms which wasn't clear or understood but it worked out mm -hmm. but maybe with a little more well i would say structure yeah. in the dungeon as far as like a dungeon goes like i don't know it could have been a little better i could see that specifically though having the objective be to like plant a bug in a computer it's cool to have a couple different options for that and i think there was and that's why you know, they, I think, ended up on the second floor. Because then the adventure, and then specifically victory in the adventure, you know, it can look a lot of different ways. You don't necessarily have to plan for everything, but um, there's multiple paths for success for the player party. Yeah. So I think that was a, a strong design choice on your part. Well, I'm glad it... You think so. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I could have... Driven it better, like, as far as driving the players to do stuff in the dungeon itself. Like, either a monster is chasing them or something. What advice would you give a new game master? Um, first, whatever you're using, if it's Dungeon and Dragons or Torg or... Dane and Cosmo's Eclipse Engine. Available for free at thuhgm.com. Doesn't cost you any money, and you can play in any setting with it. Um, 
just read through all parts of it and make sure that you, if you're the game master, specifically, and that's what we're talking about, make sure you understand the mechanics and uh, take your time, like spend as much time just like understanding those mechanics, whatever they are, like combat, you know, price of like items or whatever, how like leveling up works or whatever. But make sure you understand it so that when the players come to you with a question, maybe you don't know the answer, but at least you have a, you know, thoughtful discussion to have with them about how to make it work. Um, I think that's a big piece of advice. Just make sure, like, understanding the mechanics of whatever engine you're running is clear to you so that whatever decisions you make in the game, you know, the players don't have a problem with it. Like, they don't think it's unfair or feel cheated, I guess. Um, don't overdevelop, but, like, don't underdevelop either. Like, you know, find that balance. Just do it right. Do it yeah, right. Just, you, know. you should know it. Like, they've been doing it for years. <laughs> Never um, ask an elf for advice, because he will tell you yes and no. <laughs> but just... Fellowship of the Rings reference. Love it. <laughs> but knowing, like... Before, like, you start the session or developing it, make sure you start, maybe start with, like, what the end objective of it is and develop out from there. I think good pieces of advice. Know the system you're running. Don't overdevelop. Have fun. But know that not everything is necessarily going to be explored or even feature in gameplay at all. And then uh, don't underdevelop by getting discouraged. Like, oh, nothing's. Yeah. They're not going to see any of this, anyways. Uh, it's still. It still should be fun. So, yeah. like, develop it as long as it's fun. I guess. Yeah. So uh, we got something special for all you listeners out there. Mm-hmm. We have a dungeon creator worksheet. Mm-hmm. Another useful resource. We can't, um, well, I mean, it's two winters ago, uh, so we can't really do anything about Enzo's first time running a, running a role-playing session. We can't, uh, we can't smooth that out, and we can't undo any of the trials and tribulations he went through. Um, but your, uh, your kindly neighborhood game masters at 2HGM.com, we've come up with a worksheet that guides first-time game masters through the process of creating your first simple adventure. Right, we call it Dungeon Creator. It doesn't have to be a dungeon. It could be, like, the wilds or a town, even. Uh, but basically, it's you know has some instructions in there. It has some tables. Uh, it basically guides you through creating a modular uh, adventure. So, like, encounter here... Oh, if they don't get to there, you could move it over here, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a fun new product available at 2HGM.com along with all our other stuff. And we'll hit everything in the outro. But uh, this is another free resource for people who are interested in the hobby of role-playing games and who want to, you know, get into it. Whether you've never played a game before and you just kind of want to try it, or maybe you've been like the forever game master in your group, and you want to you get one of your friends to take over for you. We think this worksheet is a pretty good way to kind of ease into it and 
have have your hand kind of held a little bit through the process while still giving you all the freedom that you need. It's it's part of the Eclipse engine, um, or it's designed to work with the Eclipse engine, which means it's good for any setting, any sort of, you know, uh, any time. It could be a fantasy, a sci-fi, it could be a Western, it could be, you know, whatever you want to make with it. Uh, and We're that is available enough. for free on the website now. Yeah, sorry. We are lucky on. enough to uh, Enzo has agreed to use test out this um, document, and she's going to run a session for us next I'm all time. About challenges. So Enzo, why don't you give us a preview of the session you're going to run for us using this document? Well, he's made a whole adventure. He's used the thing, right? Yeah, uh, but. So, so yeah, tell yeah, us a little bit. I so it will be run on the Eclipse engine, available on two HDM, two HDM. Uh, these two bozos website. Um, hey. the adventure I'll be running is the Time Vein Dungeon Crawl. It's set in. It will be set in the eighteen seventies ish. Date not exact because. I don't care enough. Um, and it's going to be in an old mining town that used to be prosperous. was a boom town. Now it's basically a ghost town if you're a fan of Western stuff at all. And it's going to revolve around figuring out what's going on with the mines and why is time messed up down there and being weird and the weird monsters that come out. Just time monsters in a spooky western dungeon. So the setting is the 1880s. It's going to involve monsters. It's going to involve it's going to involve time. <laughs> okay. And time deposits. Can't and wait. Such. Yeah. Wild. Um so yeah. That's uh I'm excited. And I hope you are, too, because that's going to do it for this episode of Two-Headed Game Master. Well, I've got a stiffy for it. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> uh, be sure to check out 2HDM.com, where you can gain access for free to the Eclipse Engine, Eclipse Engine character sheets, and our new Dungeon Creator worksheet. Leave us your comments, uh, or, you know, contact us if you have comments, uh, you know, feedback, love to hear from you. Also on 2HGM.com, you can find the link to our Patreon and Twitter. So join us next time for an episode of Two-Headed Game Master, where we'll be doing Enzo's Time Vein Adventure. We're going to do the, uh, yeah, the first session of that adventure. It's I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. Right. It's going to be way better than Mutant Mountain. <laughs> put it to shame. Well, I'm excited. Uh, thank you to the Burning Saviors for the use of their song Pond Hill is Finest as the intro and outro for our show. And we will see you next time. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.